Welcome to episode two of the Foundations for Discipleship podcast. I'm Alan Brace, and I'm here with Pastor Tim Barr, who is senior pastor at Tri-City Baptist Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. Pastor, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Why don't we start with a word of prayer? Yep. Father, we just thank you so much for the chance to be investing our lives into teaching others the Bible as people have already taught us. And as we begin to talk about salvation with the people that we are currently working with, Lord, if they, if someone we're discipling is not a believer yet, I would ask that you would use this lesson to clarify that and bring them to salvation. And Father, if someone is a Christian, wondering if they're once saved, always saved, wondering for sure what it means to be a Christian, may this lesson and the Word of God be used to just help us as teachers and the one who is learning that mentory, just to have that great confidence in their salvation. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we begin our discussion of discipleship uh, in our last podcast. We began, I should say, in our last podcast, uh, talking about Paul and Timothy and Barnabas, and uh, as well as giving a, an explanation of discipleship and why it's important. Um, as a guide, we are using the book Foundations, Bible Truths for Christian Growth. Um, this time, we, uh, we begin talking about the foundational truths about God. Um, what, uh, what do people need to know about God and, and, you know, and why? What, what, is, what is it that we find here in the first two pages of our lesson uh, from this book? You know, one thing I think a lot of Christians do is they assume that everyone who becomes a Christian knows everything that we know after years of being in the church. And when we say God in America today, people do not assume the triune God who is presented as male, this heavenly father. I mean, these essential notions are not necessarily assumed in our culture. So we want to highlight, that, first of all, that God exists, that he is real, that he is the creator right? That he is faithful. I mean, these are the kind of characteristics and we want to let the Bible be the authority. Remember, as someone is being discipled, it is not learning what we know. It is learning what the Bible says. So, yeah, it's very important. I mean, that that's what the basis of our faith is built on is who God is and, and what he requires from us and, um, and, and what he requires in general. So, um, in the, uh, I'm also paging back to page 15 and looking at some of our questions. Um, and pages three and four, there are two just radical uh, statements that are made to a to a world that doesn't like to give up control about anything. What what are those? You know, the first is that God made me. Now, I got to tell you, if, if you are a teacher, this is not the time to make a long defense for ex nihilo creation if someone is just coming to saving faith. Now, by the way, it might, I'm not arguing against that. That is exactly what the Bible teaches. But this is the time to help people understand that they have a God who made them. And remember, we're looking at the whole of Christian scripture here. Now, if they have a question, make sure you answer that biblically, that we were made out of nothing, right? That this was right. a miraculous work of God. Um, but for a lot of people that are just coming to saving faith, the very notion that they're not simply evolved, that they're just not a by happenstance, but, but rather that they are wonderfully and fearfully made really gives them purpose and meaning. But the second um, point is equally challenging, and that is that God owns me. 
you know, we live in a culture today where as soon as you say anyone owns a person, it brings back some horrific and sinful memories to American thinking. But I got to say something to be owned by our maker is not hor- horrible for us. It is the greatest delight and the greatest joy. It is for his glory and our greatest good. That's exactly right. Um, but what do you say to what do you say to the person who is skeptical about God? We have people, as you mentioned, we have people in our culture who don't really know who God is. What do you say to the skeptic? I mean, how do you how how as a as a person who is me- going to mentor this person, uh, mentor this uh, the the person we're speaking to? How do we how do we get around the skeptical part? Yeah, so I, I kind of take um, a, a perspective that there's two fundamental ideas that we accept by faith. Okay, we accept by faith that God exists, and we accept by faith that God revealed himself accurately in the word of God. Now, I, I never try to prove those. If, if you're trying to disciple someone that doesn't believe that God exists or that he accurately revealed himself in the word of God, you're in the wrong book. You need right. to get them into a, an evangelism work or an apologetics work. But if, if you're talking to someone that is just wrestling with, man, I, I'm just trying to understand this, that, that, that's a great thing to say. We believe that God exists by faith. We don't try to prove it. We accept it because in the beginning, God, right? It, the right. Bible assumes that God exists. Yeah. And, and we would assume that God accurately revealed himself in the word of God. From there, all you got to do is keep pointing people back to God, his character, and to his word. One of the things that uh, we pointed out and uh, I used in my mentor class uh, that I have is that uh, we at the church at Tri-City, we have uh, some pamphlets on the book of John. So if you have a person who is really not at the point of accepting God by faith and accepting Christ by faith and so on, as you walk through this first lesson, those are available too if, if they would like to do them. We can email those out to them, I presume. Right, and that just kind of walks us through John, shows us about Christ. We also have a series called Christianity Explored, where people can get in. It's a much more robust um, evangelism method. But I want to say the worst thing you can ever do is teach uh, an unbeliever how to be pretend to be a good Christian. All right, right. Someone's got to know they're a believer first, and then we teach them how to live out their Christian life. We're not trying them to teach them to fake it until they make it. Right. Exactly, because you know there, there's a good number of people like that now who've attended you know, church all their lives and they think they've made it, um, but they really don't understand who God is and they don't understand who Christ is. Yeah, well, um, if you're a mentor and you're sitting there going through lesson one and you're like, I know those things, but I've never really believed them, then I want you to know this, that the very first thing you need to do is look at yourself, right? What did, what did Jesus say? You take the log out of your own eye before you take a twig out of someone else. When you're going through this as a, as a mentor, you should every time just be affirming your own faith. But if you don't have faith, then, then you need to really deal with that. Even as a mentor, don't fake it until you make it. Right. So uh, in pages four through seven, it, it talks about uh, um, those of us, are, we people, are sinful. How do, you, how do you introduce that subject? How do you introduce the, the subject of sin to a person who doesn't believe? You know, I, I like to tell them, we don't get to set the categories the Bible does, right? And, and right from the very beginning, just say, we are going to look at what God says about us, what our maker tells us about us. And our Bibles, you know, are exactly God's word. I mean, for us today, right? Right. 
and, and so if you want to know who you are, you got to look to the Bible and, and we got to lay aside our preconceptions and let the Bible set up, set for us the truth. So make the connection uh, of Jesus sinlessness to his ability to be a substitute uh, in that section and in, in seven pages, seven through 10 in our book. Yeah, well, this is so incredibly important. I'm going to say this. If you are teaching this lesson, there's two truths that have to be bedrocked in to your mind, and you need to be listening to your mentoree. They need to, first of all, see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. There has to be a sense in where they, in their story, in their understanding, in their thinking, they see themselves not just as slightly tainted by bad or having done the worst, not, you know, I, maybe they say, well, I'm not as bad as. No, they need to see themselves as a sinner who has sinned so much that they deserve an eternity in hell, right? They have to see themselves as a sinner um, in need of a savior. But the second thing is this, they need to see themselves as a sinner who is saved by Christ, who is their substitute. That means that Jesus died in their place. The other thing is that uh, we need to point out that there is a consequence for those sin, uh, those sins, uh, unforgiven sin. Um, so back to our questions on page 15 in the book, what is the difference between hell and the lake of fire? Boy, this is a great question, by the way. A lot of people assume that when people die, they go to hell and stay there forever. But the end of Revelation tells us that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And I think that hell in the New Testament, or sometimes the Greek word is Hades, um, the, that, that is a temporary dwelling place of those who are guaranteed to spend eternity in suffering that does not end. But... That temporary dwelling place is still a place of suffering. Um, we know the rich man, Lazarus, Lazarus was in this good place. The rich man opens his, up his eyes, being in torment, not waiting for it, but being in it. And, and yet we know that everyone who is in hell will go before the great white throne judgment to be eternally condemned to the lake of fire. So we need to understand that while it is temporary, it is not temporary with a way out. It is temporary with a permanent condemnation, and the, the suffering that begins for someone in hell will last forever with no end. I would love to believe in annihilation in my own flesh. The problem is that's not what God tells me is going to happen, so we got to trust God. Exactly. So is it possible, back to our questions in the book here, uh, is it possible to, to earn eternal life? And in what sense is Jesus our substitute? Hey, this is so incredibly important. We all know it's impossible to, um, to earn eternal life, for by grace you, you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, right? It's a gift, not something we can earn, um, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, right? Um, but what is really important is this. Everyone who sees themselves as a sinner has to understand that if they hung on the cross where Jesus hung and they died, they would go to hell and then to the lake of fire because they're getting exactly what we deserve. But when Jesus hung on that cross, there was, there was one thing that was incredibly like us, so much so that we can say that Jesus was truly man. Correct. But when he hung on that cross, he was also truly God. He was the perfect man so he could die in our place. 
and he was truly God, which means for three hours of darkness, he endured everything that God's going to pour out in the lake of fire and more. The full wrath of God the Father for our sin. And, and, and by the way, I, I got to tell you, no matter where you go, if someone is struggling, there is no intellectual hole, there's no moral hole, there is no philosophical hole that if you believe that you are a sinner and you believe that Jesus died in your place that you cannot get out of. If someone looks at you and says, but I know what you did, you're like, yeah, and I even know more. I'm a horrible sinner. Well, why do you think you have hope? Because Jesus, the God man, died in my place, right? There, but the, the problem is this. If we don't believe we're sinners, or we don't believe that Jesus died in our place, then we will be stuck in our sin. So we need to be listening very carefully to our mentorees. Have they seen themselves as a sinner in need of a substitute, Jesus alone, dying in their place? Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's an important thing to do is to, for the mentors to listen for that admission of sin because that's the beginning of understanding where, they're, where they stand before God. Um, and, the, and then check for the, their understanding of Jesus' substitution for us uh, in that sin. Um, the you know, other can I address one thing here that's real sure. important? And that is I like to tell people right up front, when, if you're just learning about these truths, you're going to learn at the moment you trusted in Jesus, God did a lot of things for you that the Bible tells us he did at that moment that you probably don't really even know about yet. God right. did it, okay? But, and I'm going to tell them, you're going to learn a lot about that. That's just going to give you greater faith in what God did when you trusted in Christ as your Savior. But, I'm going to, but, but I want to say this. God has not applied what Christ did to someone if they have not seen themselves as, as, as a sinner and if they have not trusted in what Christ did on the cross as their substitute. If there's not substitutionary atonement in the brain, there is not salvation in the heart. Very good. Very well put. Um, the other thing that we need to emphasize as part of, uh, as part of this lesson is even if you only get through half the lesson you know, with your, with your mentoree, your, your student, the first time, um, start the, start the memory verses, uh, work on those memory verses. That's how we're, this is going to be successful is, is they get the word of God in their brain, uh, in their minds each day and in their hearts. So, uh, it, it, it's important to push the memory, the scripture memory. Yeah. Remember it's the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. And, I, you know, so often when someone is wrestling with, they, they want to come to saving faith. They need to hear from God, not from us. And, and, it, and God uses his word to convict us of sin and convince us of truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Exactly. Well, next time we will perhaps uh, address some topical questions, if you will, from our groups that we meet with in person. And, um, and we will complete our, our lesson one here on salvation and kind of uh, reiterate some of the questions and answers that we've talked about here today and, um, and perhaps uh, uh, reinforce some of the scripture memory things as well. Anything you would like to add to uh, encourage our, our teachers at this time? Hey, I just want to encourage you, if you are stepping out into teaching and you are a little bit nervous right now thinking, I'm going to teach this lesson for the first time, I want to remind you, don't go in your own strength, don't go in your own wisdom, don't go in your own power. You cry out to God and ask God to use you. 
exactly. And know that we are praying. Uh, we are praying for the people who have taken that step forward. It's a scary step for some of us who, who are not outgoing people to, to, do, to be obedient to what uh, Christ calls us to do. Well, that's the uh, end of episode two. Uh, we will be uh, preparing episode three soon. So until next time, thanks for joining us on Foundations for Discipleship podcast. For Tim Barr, I'm Alan Brace. So long. Mm-hmm.